All right, Practice Any Fam Jam, we have a legend on the podcast today, a legend, and her name is Dr. Dev, and she is one of the most magical beings in the universe, and that is not hyperbole, it's fucking real. So welcome the one and only queen, Dr. Devin Banks. Dr. Dev has a PhD in psychology, but more than that, she's just fucking magical. Um, She used to teach at Practice Indy. She's an amazing practitioner, athlete, human. I could go on, but you will probably do a better job of giving your like cool titles that the world needs to know. So can you share, Dr. Dev, a little bit about yourself? Yes, like you said, my name is Devin. I um, recently got my PhD in clinical psychology, um, and I am a professor at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, which took me away from Indy, but I'm glad to be close so I can come visit anytime. Um, so yeah, so my, I, you know, I teach right now. I'm teaching a course on multiculturalism and psychology, this semester. And then um, another huge part of my job is um, research. So my research concerns uh, improving health equity um, in mental health and the consequences related to mental health, specifically um, focused on youth and youth of color. And then the other part of my job is I am a clinically trained psychologist. So Um, You know, a lot of my work up to this point has been seeing patients and helping people individually and in groups. So, um, and a lot of that work has been focused um, on substance use, addiction, um, and uh, trauma for both youth and adults. When you list all that out, it sounds like you're like 55. (laughs) (laughs) I have had a lot of jobs all at the same time, definitely. Many rules. God, you're so smart. Ugh. Um, okay, so this week we're talking about mukta, which is the liberation that already exists within us. So those who are listening may have heard the word jiva mukta, which is, uh, it means like being liberated whilst alive. So when we read through the Yoga Sutras, this concept of liberation comes up in many different words and languages, or not languages, it's just the one. Um, but many different words, and uh, there's there's sort of this like underlying tension and question left in the Yoga Sutras, which is, can we be liberated in this life? And um, I think juxtaposed to liberation is always bondage, right? And um, I personally think we're living through we could argue that we're always in a state of bondage, right? But I, I think the pandemic 2020 being the cutest, uh, loudest dumpster fire I've ever seen um, has definitely made the reality of our bondage in so many different capacities, I think, amplified. So I'm just wondering from your perspective as a psychologist, what you are seeing um, from a mental perspective, you know, collectively, individually, like, what are you experiencing and seeing, um, yeah, in that realm of, like, liberated mindset versus bound mindset? Yeah, um, I think that, so I think people 
when we think about freedom, when we think about liberation um, as Americans or like in American society, um, we think about control. And so um, I think one thing that we're seeing, you know, with coronavirus um, is a loss of control and people, you know, grabbing at straws to find that sense of control again. And so and the reason I think, let me go back a little bit, like the reason I think freedom to us means control is because if you think about the ideals this country was founded on and um, what we mean by freedom, like, you know, we think about democracy, right? So like what the American revolution like was really about um, not being under the thumb of the British of the British monarchy, right? And letting people have control over their leaders, like their elect, and now that turns out to be our elected officials, right? Like this idea of democracy is about having control over who our leaders are. And if you think about how we're taught, when our freedom is taken away or is at risk of being taken away, what are we taught to do? We're taught to fight for it. Like that's um, that's the thing that we we fight for, right? To get that freedom, to get that control back. And um, that I think is really problematic because uh, when we conflate freedom and control, because uh, control is an illusion. Like we don't have control. <laughs> like the world is there is it's just chaos and our brains are so amazing um they are programmed to help us survive and one of the main things they need to do to help us survive is make us think that we have control over our lives so that we can like feed ourselves and prevent ourselves from danger right imagine if we didn't have that illusion of control we would all just like lay on the ground and be like, well, I'll just wait for it to all be over. Like, nothing matters anyways, right? <laughs> like, like me in my sweatpants right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so we need that ego to tell us that we have control so that we, you know, we'll take care of ourselves, you know, and, and make quote-unquote good or healthy decisions. But that can go a little bit too far, that hold on control. Um, and then we get, I think, in a position where we um, are grasping for that sense of control when we are thrown into chaos or, or trauma, right? So, um, you know, for freedom from like a psychological perspective, I think it's the same thing. People, when they want to be free of their, you know, whatever like ailments they feel like um, are impacting their mind, what they really mean is they want to have control over their mind. Like they want to be able to control. I hear people say all the time, I want to control, I want to get my depression under control. I want to get my anxiety under control. But um, if freedom and control are about fighting, like, I'm telling you, you are not going to be able to fight. You cannot fight depression. You like, you cannot fight anxiety. Like fighting um, is not, despite what we've been taught, fighting is not the way to freedom. Hmm. Oof. 
just shook me a little. So I think that's, well, there are three concepts that came up that I think is really an interesting uh, distinguishing factor when we talk about freedom from the lens of yoga and mentality, which is one, which is ahamkara, which you, you said, like we can't, we can't divorce ourselves of our like baseline ego that we have to exist. And ahamkara is like, you know, it's our white blood cells coming in to do the work to fight infection. You know, it, it, we have to have that balance to stay alive and to keep moving. But then there's asmita, which is the actual I-ness or the ego, which then we start to use to inflict dominion over others or environment or, you know, like, I think that's where that starts to get a little ugly. And then there's aparagraha, which is the opposite of non-clinging. It, it is non-clinging, um, but we become, when we step into more of like the I-self, we start to cling and think things belong to us and start to own them and to your point, control them. So I think that's where that slippery slope goes, especially the more agency that's taken from us. So I'm curious, uh, you know, because depression and anxiety, especially in the spiritual world, I think, um, I think we get a lot of like spiritual bypassing in terms of like, oh, just let it go or you know, and I'd, I'd imagine telling someone who has depression, you know, to not, like, how would you explain to someone who is maybe experiencing depression or anxiety during this time or just in general, how would you maybe explain to them not to fight it? Like, what would be a tactic or a strategy instead of fighting it? What would that look like? Well, I think, and this is very yogic of me, but I always do, I tell my patients, like, awareness is the first step right um and I don't mean being like okay fine like put a label on it I have depression that's not what I mean at all I mean awareness of um awareness of your patterns of thinking like you can't change anything or move forward until you have awareness of it and so um a lot of my, yeah, a lot of my approach is pretty mindful. Like, I'm not asking you to, to change your thought patterns or, like, change your emotional patterns, but just start to be aware of them. Because once you're aware of them, you'll start to notice, wow, when people say this type of thing, you know, I tend to get really anxious, like, or, <laughs> you know, man, like every time my, you know, my boss asked me to do this task, this like particular type of task, like these certain thoughts come up, right? And you kind of start putting things together so that you can um, put some things, you start to learn things, you can put some things into place to mitigate those, right? So like if every time your boss asks you to do this certain task, you start to have really self-defeating negative thoughts, um, then what, what can you put in the middle there? Like, you know, how do you take care of yourself? Like, cause you know, your boss is going to keep asking these things. You know, like you, you, that's your job. You're not, hope, I mean, I don't think right the second you're quitting, but you know, what are like the self-care strategies or the self-talk strategies, you know, or um, the things that you need to do if you're being self-defeating to make yourself feel powerful in the moment so that you can go do what you need to do. 
right? And that's a huge oversimplification of like the whole long process. But, you know, I would say that the first step is really a mindful awareness. Um, and, you know, sometimes mindful awareness get help, not necessarily from a professional, but you know, from someone more or from a friend you can talk things out with. Um, so you can figure out what your path forward is. Yeah, what I, what I heard in that, which I find really interesting and healing is the, um, essentially the disruption of the pattern. You know, like we get into patterns of thought, we get into patterns of behavior based off of those thoughts, which from like a, you know, a yogic lens, that's karma, right? Like karma, karma is predictable. Karma is basically looking at the world and saying like, we can, we can basically predict how this is going to go. You know, it's, it's also like analyzing history. If we take a second, become aware of the patterns that we humans continue to adopt, if we would just take a second and look at where we've been, and make a different choice, make a choice to disrupt the pattern, we can have different outcomes, um, which I, you know, I think is a really powerful thing to consider. Yeah, and I don't want to undermine anybody's experience because there's all different types of things that contribute to like depression and anxiety and all other, uh, you know, those are obviously just, I think the most common that we talk about and some of the most common, but um, I think, if you're in a crap situation, which almost all of us are right now, um, having symptoms like of depression, anxiety are super normal. And we can't do too much to change like our crap situations. So, you know, what can we do? And I mean, and this stuff is all over the internet, you know, about, and I don't even want to use self-care because I think it's overused, but you know, how to manage anxiety in the land of COVID or, um, you know, what you can do to mitigate some of the stress uh, related um, to the racism and racial trauma that is like all over the news. So I, I guess I would just tell people that this is super normal, that like, you know, I'm bummed, I'm down, <laughs> like it sucks, I think a lot of people are. Um, and, and that's normal. And, um, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, I don't know how we're going to come out of this. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, effects of this time and some are going to be amazing and some are going to be awful. But uh, I think, um, I think one thing I've learned is that we have to ask for help. Like we have to ask each other for help. Um, and that feels again, back to my point, like a loss of control <laughs> to a lot of us, giving away our power, giving away our control, giving away our freedom. Um, but it is so necessary if we have to lean on each other. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And it, in a way that is well, two things that are breaking a pattern there. One, I think, you know, you saying like this sucks and this is the way it is. I think we're just 
constantly looking to always, I mean, I think it's brain science that we are constantly looking for pleasure and avoiding pain, right? But maybe that's the pattern as evolved beings we have to break is it's sometimes there's pain. Sometimes mm-hmm. if you deal with the pain. And again, as you said, not to minimize people's experience, if you've been experiencing a lot of pain for a continuum amount of time, like you know, that might be a different thing altogether. But collectively, those of us who maybe aren't suffering from deep depression, we might just have to sit with the pain. So I think that's one thing that honestly is a disruption in the pattern because the pattern is seek pleasure at all costs. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is empowering ourselves to ask for help, which we're not, we're a country that's taught to be the helper. I've, um, I've just listened to this uh, podcast on the Korean War and how we've stepped in in different wars to help. And while I don't want to diminish some of our um, assistance to other countries in our history, we certainly have. Also, sometimes what our help has been is murdering people. Yeah. So I think um, being okay with, as Americans, like we damn welfare and things like that too, like help programs, I think it breaks the pattern to ask for help and to be empowered to ask for help instead of thinking we're holier than thou and we don't need help, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Your insight about breaking the pattern is so important. I think and it goes back to this idea of freedom because so much of being an adult psychologically is unlearning and un- unlearning the socialization <laughs> that you uh, experienced growing up. I mean, obviously some of the socialization is positive, but so much of it is um, not helpful (laughs) um, or, you know, biased. And so much of being an adult is is unlearning that and um, breaking those patterns, like groove, you know, getting rid of, starting to smooth out some of those samskaras, those patterns, um, ways of being, of thinking, of feeling that were ingrained in us very young. And, you know, some of, we hear people talk a lot about like um, dealing with their own traumas um, and, you know, trauma is a word um, that I think is is being used now a lot more uh, than it was even 10 years ago. Um, And so it can mean different things, but what I think they're really saying, when we talk about trauma more broadly is, is unlearning patterns, like, and it could be anything like, you know, I am working to unlearn, um, you know, the respectability politics that was socialized into me from a young age to like, quote unquote, survive in the white world. Right. Um, you know, a lot of white people right now are working on unlearning, um, like, the racist socialization that they received growing up. Like, if you're, um, if you experienced abuse or trauma growing up, you were taught uh, that certain things that we might think are adaptive, you know, someone else didn't, who didn't experience that things is adaptive, you might have learned that those are really bad, right? And so you have to work to unlearn and deprogram what you learned. Like, so part of freedom is freedom from 
um, from our negative socialization, from our traumatic learnings uh, as children and adolescents and, you know, throughout. I, I don't mean to be like, you know, Freud, like repressed desires, <laughs> like everything's about childhood because it's not, but we can't get away. We can't escape um, the culture, the society, uh, the ideals that we were raised in, that we were raised around, that our, the, our minds were shaped around. And so I think a lot of an adult, being an adult is, is working to unlearn those things. And that's why awareness is the first step. And I think that that plays right into the idea of freedom because you kind of mentioned this at the beginning or alluded to it, but like mukta is like past tense. Mm-hmm. So um, some uh, Sanskrit scholars believe that it's talking about a freedom, like not a freedom that we need to achieve, like a freedom that we've already had, that we've already experienced and that we need to go back to. It's like all of the crap that has been piled on us um, up until this point in our lives is preventing us from that freedom, from that knowing. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, you know, something that sticks with me that someone said, Pervy had ta- has talked several times about yoga being a deep remembrance of, of like who, our essence of who we really are um, and getting back to that. And I think, you know, all of these things are connected. <laughs> it's all kind of different ways of saying the same thing, which is that this esoteric idea of freedom, you know, we might not be able to put our finger on it, but the path is unlearning and deprogramming that, which is clearly not helpful to us. And so I guess that's why, to me, the first step is always awareness. It's always mindfulness. As a, as a yoga teacher, what are some tools that you think are, are useful to people to, to engage with that first step to become aware? Hmm. I like the 16 segment check-in. Do you know that one? No. Um, it's where you literally take four in-breaths, hold for four, four out-breaths, hold for four. That's it. It's literally, that's it. And you, you can do it anywhere, you can do it anytime. And like, whenever it comes to mind, just do it. Taking a pause, you know. The other thing that I tell both my patients and my mother, because she's the reminder, especially when she's dealing with technology, is like you have to back up from whatever you're struggling with, Mm. right? So like if you are working on something and you're really kind of focused on the details and you get frustrated or it's not working out for you, you keep pushing and pushing and pushing and drilling down. Right, but like the devil is in the details. You need to like roll your figurative office chair back and like take a more landscaped thousand foot view. Mm -hmm. Like, 
take a take a moment to like take the whole picture into perspective and maybe then there'll be a clear answer and it's not where you had drilled down before. I was kind of afraid to say it earlier because I didn't want it to be oversimplification, but I think for anyone not maybe dealing with extreme anxiety or depression, something to just break the pattern is like go for a walk, like take 10 minutes, five minutes and go for a walk or yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like zoom out, change scenery, do some set a timer if you have to, but just do something else and then come back to it, which I've been doing that because we were talking about before this, like I can't work for an hour straight now. Like I just feel so fucked in the head. And <laughs> um, so what I do is I work, I set a timer and then I go in my garden or I'll go and, you know, cook something. I'll do something that's a totally different activity usually has to do with like, I have to touch something and, you know, less thinking, more doing. Mm -hmm. and it has really helped. So those are awesome. Yeah, that's a good point. There's this, um, you know, as a researcher, we're like always obsessed with how do you be more productive. Um, <laughs> stupid. Uh, but, you know, the like evidence-based productivity thing that's pretty popular right now is this tomato timer. So the idea is you work for 25 minutes and then you take a five minute break. And then you work for 25 minutes and then you take a 10 minute break. And then you like repeat that. And if you can actually get, for me, you know, if I can actually get myself to like follow what the timer says, the breaks really help me kind of take that more thousand foot view because maybe I've like gotten into the trenches with something and I'm really struggling and a five or 10 minute break and I come back and I'm like, mm, this is a waste of time. <laughs> like, you know, I need to be working on something else. So, you know, we're talking about like work and, and doing stuff, but I think that that can apply to like the way you talk to yourself, um, you know, the conversations, or the automatic thoughts that are happening in your head, um, the, the anxiety talk when your thoughts just kind of like tumble over each other, right? Um, so there are many, there are many applications. Well, and I think the, the external always, you know, informs the internal and vice versa. So if you can find a, a break in the pattern, which causes some freedom in your mind, you know, or you literally free your body from the situation, it may often have the effect of a brief moment of freedom or respite in your mind. And over time, like unlearning to relearn or unlearning to remember, as you shared earlier, may be the, may be the ticket. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would love to know <clears throat> two more things. Actually, three more. Three more. Um, what, so do you believe, do you feel as a yogi, as a researcher, as a psychologist, as, an, as a teacher, do you think that freedom in this existing body, do you think liberation is possible? Um, I mean, I think it depends on what liberation means to you. Mm. Um, I think liberation is possible, um, in the moment. Mm. I think liberation is possible from like an emotion or a way of thinking or a way of being. Um, but 
everything is temporary. So I think when we, uh, the idea of like looking for this liberation that's going to save us is why we're in the political situation that we're in right now. Mm. Um, it's, it's not realistic. Everything is temporary. Um, and nobody can save us from ourselves. Like it's our responsibility. Um, our community is our responsibility. So, so, you know, yes and yes. And it's temporary. Yeah. That kind of gives me hope in a weird way, you know, my last question would be in in line with that in your research um so we're going to be doing i think the week that this comes out we'll start it but we're doing a book club on my grandmother's hands which is about racial trauma as i'm I'm, I'm saying that for people listening I, you know that <laughs> but could you speak to um just a little bit about your research and i'll let you choose who you want to address but you know, what in this moment with the racial tension that we have and the opportunity to actually break old patterns and create new liberties, what do you see might be some actions that either people of color can take or white people can take to, from a psychological standpoint, to break these patterns? And again, mm -hmm. you can who you want to, you know, share, speak to in that. Yeah. Um, ooh, there's just so much. <laughs> there's so many things. Um, you know, I think that we are struggling with a lack of empathy um, in general and like race as a concept is very difficult to people who don't have to consider their race which is like white people. So um, then the idea of there being trauma or like vicarious trauma, even if it didn't happen to you specifically, is a really difficult concept when you don't even really get a race in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'll talk about it like this as a community. Like if you live in Indianapolis and, you know, you, you've lived in downtown Indy, or, you know, you've lived in the Indianapolis area your whole life. And, um, you know, something like what happened in Lebanon happens there. Like, you know, some, something really bad happens to the community of Indianapolis. Like, even if you are not hurt and no one you know personally is hurt, like, you are really going to feel that, right? Because you identify with and are attached to this community and so when people are brought together by something like where they live you know shared identity um, they can feel it when something bad happens to that community and when people are oppressed um, systematically and they create like a subculture which black Americans of um, the African diaspora have done when something happens to us and it keeps happening, it keeps happening, even if it's not someone we know personally, um, we really feel that, right? And so, and then we're like expected to 
you know, go to work and be just productive as we were being, you know, the previous day. And so I think, you know, something beautiful that's happened in the last couple of days is that the NBA, like several NBA players and other athletes, um, women athletes included, are like, no, we're not doing this. Like, we're not going to work. Like, we're not going to pretend like everything is normal in our outer lives when everything is like falling down in our inner lives, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that what we have to continue to do is to say, no, like we're not going about this. We're not just gonna keep on keeping on. And we're not just gonna let, we're not gonna keep on keeping on and say, oh, that's so sad for black people, or like, oh, that's so sad for this one person, you know, who was, who was shot by the police or whatever the incident may be. Um, but we're gonna stop what we're doing um, until this, and whatever that you know, looks like for you, until this is resolved. Or, and so, you know, Take, take that as you may, but I think the tr it's like the trauma, the vicarious trauma of seeing these uh, people that look like you get killed because they look like you, right? On top of then having to go to a majority white workplace as most, not most, but as many, most black people do. And nobody seems to care, mm -hmm. right? So like going back to my original example, like, you know, if something horrible happened in your Indianapolis community and like you got on a Zoom call with your family that lives in California and they're like, woohoo, everything's amazing about our lives and you're sad, you're gonna be like, woo, this is, I'm, this isn't really meshing up with what's going on with me. Like, did you not hear about what happened in Indianapolis, right? It's weird. And we've all experienced this to some extent. But because race is so uh, politicized uh, and because it's such a difficult concept for people who don't have to deal with race to conceive of, uh, it, it's, uh, it's harder. Yeah. I think what you said too is so critical to your earlier point about control and breaking the pattern. You know, the control is sticking with the programming, you know, like an incident occurs, but we stick with the programming. We go to work, we do the fucking thing, right? We just ignore that is that's bondage, you know? And I think as a white person waking up to that and realizing like, I'm, I'm the most duped of all of them if I keep going, right? Like if I keep playing with the program, it's like that fucking music video with all the, um, we don't need no, I can't, I like, <laughs> or like everybody's like in a factory assembly line. It's like the one kid who breaks the pattern is the, is the free one, you know? It's like in order for us all to collectively heal and make change, we have to break the pattern. We have to acknowledge we cannot go on with our regularly scheduled programming. Um, and right. that, that's where the freedom is. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
as yep, it's the deprogramming and the the quitting of the programming. The NBA is over. <laughs> Just stop the programming. Be like that. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I could talk about that for like. I didn't even get into research. I mean, I just kind of like paraphrased our psychological process in the in versus the out group. But, um, you know, if I will say, you know, the field of psychology is, is deeply, deeply racist um, past and present. And, um, you know, now we're starting to really expand the idea of trauma and, and look at how that affects people. And, you know, what we are finding is that um, incidences of race-related stress, whether, you know, somebody called you the N-word or, you know, whether you um, watched a video of someone that looks like you being shot or, you know, harassed by the police or, um, you know, whether, a colleague or a friend just posted something um, insensitive. All of those things have significant um, additive effects on Black people's mental health. And more recently, a study has come out that's shown that those effects are particularly significant in the kiddos. And so that's why I study youth. You know, I would like to, I, I you know, I'm like, I'm a cancer, like I'm very mothering, <laughs> which sometimes people are surprised about, but um, I wanna protect the babies. Like I wanna set them up for the most successful life that they can have and, um, you know, and mitigate some of the realities uh, that they're facing as black and brown kiddos in our country and our society. Uh, and that, by their learning, what they're learning, right, is like who they are isn't okay. And so like as an adult, imagine how much deprogramming they would have to do to reach, you know, this idea of mukta that we're talking about. So, you know, how can I mitigate that negative learning process early on? That's what I'm working on so that they live longer and happier and healthier lives. You're a fucking badass, Devin. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad you're on this planet and I'm glad you're doing that very important work and super grateful for you. Oh, thank you. I'm very grateful for you as well. Well, um, speaking of psychology, I asked you a question a few weeks ago. Who is your, <laughs> who is your favorite psychologist? And, uh, and you've arrived at a conclusion. Well, like at the time I was like, I don't want to pick a white guy, <laughs> but like, that's pretty much all that's in our textbook. So I, you know, I have, there are uh, a couple um, amazing black scholars who are um, doing fantastic work out there with regard to health equity, like Rita Walker has an amazing book about black mental health. She's a psychologist. Um, Rihanna Anderson is doing um, amazing work in uh, Detroit and now on Zoom all over the country for Black mental health and Black youth. Um, so those are like my contemporary faves. I think, you know, if I'm going to go into a textbook, my favorite's got to be Carl Jung. Mm. Because, you know, he was like, he was a spiritualist. He was all about 
this idea of not only the personal conscious, but the collective unconscious um, and how those interact with the ego and really kind of moved away from Freud's idea that everything, like all psychological issues were about repressed childhood sexual desires and really was like, why don't we actually look at what people are going through right this second and how that's contributing to their identity and their, their consciousness. Um, and so, you know, he said some pretty spiritually profound things um, like, you know, who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which goes back to our idea, you know, the idea of this deep remembering, this um, unlearning of all the stuff that we learned in order to get to freedom, to liberation, whatever that might mean. God bless something, Devin, you're brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. You summed that up way better than I could, um, as I knew you would, which is why you're here. Uh, Is there anything you want to share about, I mean, do you want people to be in contact with you? Do you want people to follow you? I don't really know, you know, what your interest in that whole realm is. Sure, why not? I have a public academic Twitter. Mm -hmm. It's phd underscore banks it's supposed to be on a play on the words like you know d banks my friends used to call me that when i was in college um where i mostly talk about racial justice health equity and um ivory tower research bullshit (laughs) it's a good it's a good it's a good old mix um and yeah, you know, if you are a nerd and you can find me on Google, Google Scholar, ResearchGate, and all the other places that you read too long scientific research papers. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but uh, definitely don't do that unless you know what either of those things are. I don't, but I'm probably going to create a Google Scholar account just to follow you. <laughs> my mom, when I first started this career, was like, and published my first paper, was like, oh my God, I can't wait to read it. And I like, can't wait to read your dissertation. And I was like, I don't really think that, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good luck out there. Because, you know, and then two paragraphs and she'd be like, what do these seven words mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then you uh you shipped her a, a a dictionary and were like best best wishes mother i cannot i cannot break down the whole <laughs> oh i was like yeah you gotta wait you like let me just paraphrase i'll just let you know what we found <laughs> i wouldn't get through the first sentence without having to google every word i'm sure but i'm gonna try no i'm really curious <laughs> well is there anything you want to share um you know last last bits of information or wisdom or you know anything you know take care of yourselves out there um breathe remove your tongue from the top of your mouth and unclench your jaw like i needed to do that right then yeah (laughs) take deeper breaths into your lungs um don't watch 
videos of violence against people who look like you, whether that's like women or um, black people or Muslims or whatever. That's the, my personal medical advice of the day. Um, you know, and step away from the news when you can. Like, and don't feel guilty if you're not like engaged in the effort all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, self-love, self-care is a radical act. Well, I sure do love you. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your brilliance with us. Thank you. I love you.